Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? The Bearcats did exactly what we expected them to do when we're playing at home. Our shiny home arena located in Wichita, Kansas. Coke Arena. We go in and we dismantle methodically a pretty decent Wichita State team. We shock the shockers. And with that, the Bearcats are moving on up, moving on up. We're moving up the Kempom rankings. We're moving up the net rankings. The sky is not falling here in Bearcat land. The sun is shining. It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat. Indeed it is. Hummer, I don't think anybody, including myself, knew that you had that in you. I didn't know you had that octave. I didn't know you had that tone, that uh, pitch matching going on. That was impressive. And now we're going to have to demand more singing from you in the future. Or you could just leave it there, retire, and just say, drop the mic. Like, it's your mic drop moment. This is as good as it gets. Moving on up. This is this is my legacy. We're going out on top, baby. <laughs> But you're right that it is a great day to be a Bearcat fan uh, for a number of reasons. Obviously, top of mind is the Bearcats' um, skin-of-our-teeth victory at Wichita State, a place that we truly have loved play, playing over the last several seasons, given that every time we go there, I have, I have good, lasting memories to, to hold on to. It's also a great week to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan because, Hummer, this week is Big Catter Day. And that's because Homefield, our new sponsor for this week and next, is launching a new Cincinnati Bearcats collection on January 22nd. Homefield is, it's a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, Indiana. Comfortable clothing, officially licensed apparel with, with vintage designs. Their, their claim to fame is vintage designs. And if you are a Bearcat fan, which I'm assuming you are listening to this podcast, you know that there are lots of interesting Bearcats to cling on to uh, when it comes to designing shirts. What do you, What's impressed you so far, Hummer? How are you feeling about this home field collection? Well, the first thing that I'm impressed with is the, the glorious array of product that they have. Not only that, it's in stock. It's ripe for the picking. We have my personal favorite, which I cannot wait to arrive on my doorstep. They have the the Cincinnati Crew sweatshirt with the Bob Huggins Bearcat. I'm calling it the Bob Huggins Bearcat, right? That is that 90s classic dunking in your face Bearcat. Thing is mean, nasty. It's gorgeous. Cannot wait to get my paws on that. And hey, look, who's, who's not a fan of down the drive? Classic down the drive. Show your spirit. I'm pumped. This is going to be, a, I think, a fantastic opportunity. And right now, look, if you go to Homefield website, you'll notice like they, you log in, you go to log in, it says, you know, get 10% off your first order. Well, they're doing something special for Bearcat fans. And not only that, special for, for listeners of this podcast. If you go to Homefield right now, place your first order with them and use this, the code. What, what is the code? Is it, is it Cincy Slangin? Cincy Slangin. Use the code Cincy Slangin at checkout and you're going to get. 15% off of your first purchase at home field. Trust me. I trust me when I say this, I am saving up a lot of pennies 
to make sure that I can get several of these t-shirts. There are so many interesting designs, throwback designs. It's the kind of t-shirt launch, apparel launch that Bearcat fans have been clamoring for for the past several years. And so it's finally here. It's coming on Big News Saturday, season three. The University of Cincinnati is kicking off the home field launch January 22nd. Set your calendars. And again, Hummer, if you go to that home field website and you can actually subscribe to their newsletter, which will then update you and inform you of when exactly that launch is happening. So keep an eye out Saturday, January 22nd. Use the code Cinti Slangin at checkout to get 15% off of your first purchase from Homefield. And before we move on with this, I just, I'm like scrolling through the catalog that, that we've been sent. We're previewing here and I know we're moving to the big 12 and we're, we're really excited about where the future of Bearcat sports is headed, but there's another shirt, two of them in here that I'm just also like gooey gooey over first one, the great Midwest champions of 1992. That's a throwback. That is a throwback. throwback. (laughs) Love that. Love that right there. And we talked about this earlier on one of the pods where I think someone asked us the question about how good the band was, right? They're showing some love to the band. Did you see that? I did. I did. The UC band is damn good. (laughs) The band is getting love. The baseball team's getting love. I'm telling you, folks, check it out. Set your calendars. Mark the date. Set an alarm. Whatever you do. Home fields drop on January 22nd to kick off the big news Saturday season three collections. Uh, it's going to blow your mind. Enjoy it. And, and obviously use that code since slang in a checkout to get yourself a few extra percentage points off of your first order. With that said, Hummer, it's time that we get into some basketball talk, particularly about this most recent victory at Wichita state. Anybody who listens to the podcast knows that we talked about this game as an opportunity to really kick off some serious momentum into getting ourselves back into the tournament discussion. We also know there's a lot of football news happening right now. There's a lot of coaching shuffling. Uh, Gino Gadouli is, is officially being announced as the offensive coordinator to no one's surprise. Uh, Walter Stewart appears to be coming back to the staff. We just hired a new offensive line coach. Um, There's plenty of news and plenty of discussion to be had about the football team, despite the fact that the season just ended. We are going to have the councilman, Joe Barnett, on the podcast. We're going to record it tomorrow. It might might drop later later this week. Um, We're going to have him on to talk about the coaching changes that we're seeing at the coordinator positions, uh, but also kind of preview what we're going to see in spring football, but also training camp next year. Uh, some of the position battles at key position groups where we are losing significant talent. Des Ritter, Sauce Gardner, Alec Pierce. There's lots of new opportunities for younger players to come in, leave an imprint, and we think it is, look, football's a year-round thing at this point for the Cincinnati Bearcats. It's not too early to start talking about those training camp battles. Yeah, I mean, we and really what I think what we're trying to say here is we're not avoiding it on this episode. We just think it it deserves – its own because there's so much change this year. Not only is the roster kind of, you know, basically halfway flipping over 75% of the coaching staff has flipped over. So a lot of, a lot of meat on the bone. So we want to give the the attention that it deserves. Plus, I don't know about you. You've already brought it up. We just, I'm going to say we stormed into Wichita state. Cause that was awesome. It was a good hard fought gritty game that, you know, 
it just it was great to see us pull out a close one like that. What do you think? What were your initial reactions? Well, it's never easy. I, can't, I mean, we joke about it's being our second our, our home away from home. The fact that we are very comfortable playing there. The fact that we do have an ownership stake in Coke Arena. But we're, we do also realize that every single time we travel to Wichita, it's a game that is going to be, um, you know, it's going to be a single digit one, two, three point victory. Typically. I mean, this, these games come down to the wire. It's all about execution in the final minutes. We just saw the Bearcats a little bit over a week ago at Memphis struggle on the road to close out a game that was right there for the taking in this game. It felt like it was a, a bit of a, a script flip from what we saw at Memphis, the Bearcats down the stretch, completely out executed Wichita state. You heard Wes Miller talk about it. We didn't necessarily get the win through immaculate. We didn't necessarily get the win through. Were you about to say immaculate conception? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just, I don't want to say immaculate. So I'm going to edit it out of the podcast. <laughs> I don't think you should. I think you got to leave that one in there. Cause I feel like that's where you were headed. No, I and said, I, was the word... like, I don't know how that fits. I don't know no. how that fits. They just, I... they just willed this into existence. No, I say, I say the word immaculate <laughs> way too often. So I'm trying to get it out of my vocabulary. Um, <laughs> I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Hang on. It's because I can't find my box score. It's like throwing me off completely. Hang on. Well, while we're pulling up the box score, I mean, Dude, I'm it editing was... that out. You don't need to act like we're going on. Hang on. <laughs> I think you should leave it in. No way. <laughs> terrible. I don't think it was terrible. I think this is this is this is the banter that you look for. All right, when you want authenticity, and you're just gonna you're just gonna erase this from the game script. I mean, I think what you're trying to point out, this was a game where where Jeremiah Davenport, you know, didn't necessarily show up from from an offensive standpoint. It this was uh the DeJulius game, but more importantly, the Hayden Koval game. Right? It's like that is the starting point. The Hayden Koval the game, the game where he comes in off the bench. And honestly, every single time he left the court, the offense really got stagnant. We weren't getting any good shots. Every time he was on the court, the announcers were pointing this out. Everything just worked better. Now you are making sacrifices. He's not as strong of a defensive rebounder and he's not necessarily surrounded with incredible rebounders either uh, with Jeremiah Davenport, Micah Adams, Woods, Newman. Now I thought we saw incredible team rebounding during those key minutes with Koval on the court uh, where Koval grabs some boards. Micah Adams, Woods was fighting for boards. Obviously David DeJulius always, always sticks his nose in there, but the real difference was that Koval was an absolute killer from three in this game, knocking down multiple cold-blooded three-point shots early in the shot clock. The guy was Mount not... Guard me, baby. <laughs> put a hand in my face or, or I'm pulling and, and I'm ripping your heart out. Koval was incredible in this game. The first time this season that we're really seeing, like his, him, he left a true imprint on the game. And there were so many guys after the game, David DeJulius, uh, the coaching staff, everybody was over the moon for Koval having this game because apparently behind the scenes, he's someone that day in day out is going to bring hundred percent energy, hundred percent effort, always looking to get better. Not always going to get the glamor associated with a, a bench backup center type role, especially because Victor Lockin was missing this game. He did get more minutes in this, in this specific game that he has been getting throughout the season, but it really is fun to see someone like that seize the opportunity and create kind of his first lasting memory for Bearcat fans going on in the future. He's going to be a one-year player here at Cincinnati 
And this is a game where Bearcat fans will remember that Koval performance. Yeah, and it's, it was a performance at a time where it was, it was much needed. When you're looking up and down uh, the box scores and, and seeing who did what, this, this was a game where Jeremiah Davenport, we've already kind of mentioned it, he was ice cold. Uh, wasn't wasn't really getting anything done on the on the offensive side. Mike Mike Saunders Jr. Same thing, just really wasn't getting anything anything moving. You know, and Koval stepped up, and you know, I don't want to say put the team on his back, but in a way, on from an offensive standpoint, he did. He 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 went way and above what he normally does, and I think that's that is the reason why we were able to pull that pull this victory out because there were times where it just it was it was muted. It was, it was not pretty looking. And, you know, I think at one point we fell behind, what was the largest deficit? Six, maybe eight points. Yeah, no, I mean, there was deficits in this game early on that were 10, I think upwards of 12 points. So, I mean, we, we had moments that we had to really fight through. I thought that's, that's the great thing about the team. Like this was a game that looked ugly early on the Bearcats absolutely had no rhythm they fell behind 10 points early. I think it was 20 to 10, 22 to 12. And those are the moments where a game can get away from you. It's easy to see a 10 point lead snowball into an 18 point lead into a 20 plus point lead. And at that point with the type of offense, the Bearcats have, it's not looking good for having a comeback, especially on the road. But in those moments, they found opportunities and ways to rally, to close the deficit. Um, Koval obviously in the second half is really, was the driving force down the stretch, a guy who was spacing the floor, opening up driving lanes for our guards, making big three-point shots. But in the first half, we saw, and he's been on a tear lately, but John Newman III make bucket after bucket or get a key stop or get a key deflection or or show the kind of energy that this team needed to, to create a spark. John Newman III is becoming that, that glue guy for this roster to kind of bring everything together offensively and defensively. Trace vibes. <laughs> you know what, from a, from a energy standpoint, from a effort st- standpoint, game in game out, um, that is kind of the role that he has on this team. It's different. It, it doesn't look the same as it did for Trey Scott. It's not going to be as flashy with, Oh yeah. yeah. It's not, not the same player at all. <laughs> no, it's not the same player, but from a, from a, from a role on the team, from being like the the beating heart on the team, John Newman seems to be becoming that guy. Yeah, I I, I think he's quickly morphed into. He's also taken over the role of, of fan favorite. <laughs> he he sees a very he has a, you bring it you, you you mentioned it the energy. He's kind of you know has a little bit of char- charisma about him. He carries himself in a way that I think some of these guys are looking to him, you know, from from for his leadership that he's bringing. Just kind of, I think they're looking the same way for David the Julius, uh, and that's a, that's a role that the Julius has really, really settled into much better than than what we saw out of him last year. So I'm, I've been happy with the performances we're seeing from him as well, but there can't, can't be enough stated about John Newman. He's, he's defending, he's rebounding, he's hitting shots, even though I've joked at times on Twitter about him taking too many threes because he seems to just jack them up. But can't, if you're going to make them, <laughs> keep shooting them, right? What but can I, would, I say? <laughs> I do think there's been a little bit more discernment on what's a good shot and where to pass it. I mean, he's somebody, he went two for three from the field today from three-point land, and he's got this real spicy mid-range game. He does yeah. know how to get to the rim. He's not as elite at finishing around the the rim, but he has this great sort of pull-up game where he's able to kind of drive into traffic, 
draw a couple defenders, but then use the pivot foot to his advantage to create these nice, you know, cheeky little mid-range fadeaways that he gets going on a, on a regular basis. It's a valuable shot for him. And sometimes there's guys where they settle for these turnaround mid-range fadeaways that are terrible shots. John Newman is not one of those guys. That's a good shot for him. It's an efficient shot for him. It's where the comfort zone is. So as basketball moves away from the mid-range game, I think in the, at the college level in particular, if a guy's comfortable there, it's okay for him to be shooting those shots. David DeJulius is the same exact way, just with a little bit more explosiveness in the scoring column. Um, he's someone who is comfortable operating in that mid-range space. We're, we're going to see him take jump shots where his toe or foot is just over the three-point line. And it kind of drives you crazy. But at the same time, that's just very step comfortable. back. Just step back three inches. <laughs> it reminds me, it reminds me of DeMar DeRozan in the NBA. He's someone who has never been able to add a three-point shot to his game. Dwayne Wade was the same way. Look, David DeJulius is not Dwayne Wade. He's not DeMar DeRozan, but in the sense of I'm comfortable operating right in front of the three-point line. That's my comfort zone. Okay, whatever. Like I'm gonna throw my hands up and say, you're not going to move back behind the three-point line, and more often than not, I get it. Um, that said, he did go three or four from three-point land, made some incredibly big buckets down the stretch. And the big thing for me is DeJulius is the most important player down the stretch of a game when we need to get a shot, when you need to find a way to get a good shot, whether he's the one shooting the layup, driving to the basket, creating a pull-up jumper, or creating for his teammate, that is the guy who has to have the ball in his hands, and he seems more comfortable than he ever has in a Cincinnati Bearcats uniform being the go-to guy and being able to deliver on a game-in, game-out basis. I think there's something that you had mentioned or someone else had mentioned on Twitter about basically Miller finding the 10 guys or so in the rotation that he's, he's trusted. We, we obviously played 10 guys on Sunday, and – we were we're missing one. Do we do we we don't know what happened with Lockin, right? That was just uh maybe needs a break. It was a minor I, hip injury. It was a minor, minor hip injury by all accounts. Nothing major, nothing that should keep him out a long time. A minor hip injury. So what are you how are you feeling about this this 10 man kind of the 10 guys that we've got in this rotation down to? Do you think there's room to tighten it up a little further? Uh, are there guys that are playing their way into the needing more more minutes? guys that should be falling down in terms of the minutes that they're getting. I think that what Wes Miller has done is sort of, it's the perfect balance of best of both worlds. All he's done by, by when, when you say tighten up his rotation, the same 10 guys are basically still occupying the total minutes. Hayden Koval played eight, 18 minutes in this game. Normally if Victor Lockins playing, you've got another guy in the rotation and, and, and Lockins probably eating up, about nine or 10 of those minutes. So Caval's minutes get cut in half. What he's doing though, is you're seeing Newman, Davenport, Adams, Woods, and Julius locked in as surefire 31, 30 to 32 minute per game guys going into the season. I don't think we anticipated anybody playing or averaging over 30 minutes a game, but in conference play, Wes Miller has started leaning on those guys with that experience. They sort of offer the best combination of, Ability to score, but also ability to defend. The, those four guys are, you know, Davenport is a little more offensive focused. He's not bringing a ton to the to the defensive side or defensive end of the court. Adams, Woods, DeJulius, and Newman, they're all three guys who have found ways to offer a scoring punch to knock down some shots, but they're all very solid defensively. And so I think Miller is leaning on 
those guys with the most basketball versatility, but he's still finding ways to get everybody else on the bench minutes so that on a night-to-night basis, we have contributions from a Jared Hensley. We have contributions from Odio Guama. Hayden Koval, you know, we have the Hayden Koval game because Wes Miller gives these bench guys significant run. Um, so I think he's going to continue doing that. Obviously, I think there's going to be games where a Mike Saunders Jr. plays more than 18 minutes and might even see upwards of 25, 26, 27 minutes on a game where he's really got it rolling and is making a big imprint. Um, but by and large, I'm in agreement with the the current rotation, the current approach, because those are the four players that have seemed to bring the most consistency on both ends of the court. I, I don't disagree with that statement. Uh, I think you're, you're going to see you're, you're 100 percent right. You're going to see guys like Mike Saunders, Jr., you know, having the opportunity to increase. He he lets our players have a long leash, which is good, too. He's not afraid to put put players back into when I say him, Wes Miller, when they're getting up into the three, two, two fouls, three fouls early in the game, he'll bring you back into that first half, let you, let you work through the mistakes. I don't think he's afraid of having a guy foul out, knowing that, you know, the way this team operates, there should be someone who can step up being able to take over, take over on the night. Because, look, what we don't need on this team, as we can see, like, we would like to have it, but we don't need Jeremiah Davenport to have 20 points every game. We would like that, don't get me wrong, but it's not needed. It's not a necessity. It's not a do or die if he doesn't show up. I'd say it's more of a do or die if the Julius doesn't show up. I think that that's probably more, you know, probably our more our biggest vulnerability is having DJ go down and have an off night. But now I, I think you are going to see these guys get earning more minutes. You're going to see it spreading out because you're right, we're in conference play. We're leaning on the guys that you need to go and lean to. And you know that you know the goal here for them is still to make the tournament. It may not be that way in everybody's eyes, but we talked about you mentioned that you know we're we're moving on up. You know, we, we're moving up in Kempom rankings. we we've cracked the tops, the top 70. I think we're sitting right around 66. The net rankings, uh, we cracked the top 60. Not that that's you know too crazy because at 50 at 59, it's not a lock to get into the tournament. But that most this crucial stretch of our schedule is coming up where we can't afford to make mistakes against some of the, this weaker competition starting. By the way, who keeps scheduling tip-offs at 9 p.m. On, on like weekdays? Like People know we're in the East Coast, right? Like Cincinnati's in the East Coast time zone. It's not Midwest, right? This isn't, this isn't getting shown at 8 p.m., right? I, I, don't, I don't get where that's coming from, but that's, that's my side rant. <laughs> we're coming up to this crucial stretch of the schedule that when we get to the second time around playing Tulsa, if we can come through that stretch having one loss, to either Memphis or Houston, if we can steal one of those games and have one loss, we're actually, I think we're sitting really pretty at, at being able to, to we're a legitimate bubble team at that point. And we're, we're looking at, we might, we might be, you know, squeaking into that. That's two or three spot in the conference rankings. I think there's probably people who heard our last episode when we talked about the basketball team and thought these guys are unabashed homers, fans, um, ridiculous optimists who actually think this team has a chance of playing its way to win, into a tournament appearance. I don't think we're that crazy. I, I legitimately think when you look at the fact that it's Houston and everybody else, Justin Williams shared it today. Houston's ranked number four in the net rankings. The Bearcats are at 59 and the Bearcats are the, the next highest ranked team in the conference. When you say steal a game from Houston or, or Memphis, we're not supposed to steal a game from Memphis. When they come and play at Fifth Third Arena, 
we're supposed to win that game. And so when you go on a stretch here of Tulsa at home, Temple away, East Carolina away, Memphis at home, all four of those games are winnable. All four I genuinely of those games, say I'm surprised by that stat. I'm surprised. I, I did not know that we were the next highest. I'm genuinely surprised by that. And that's the net rankings. I mean, if you look at Ken Palm, it's a little different. Memphis would be above us. But by and large, man, this is not, this is again, I, I actually, this is a shout out to a, another podcast that I think does some really cool things. They take a different approach than us, but Go Beer Cats had uh, Mark Adams on their podcast to talk about the American Athletic Conference, to talk about the Bearcats. And he's an extremely excitable guy, passionate about college basketball. I love listening to him announce Bearcats games. He, he announced the Illinois game and Arkansas games earlier this year. And he was fantastic on both calls. I mean, he's very, he's just, he's loquacious and, and charismatic and he's always a fun listen. I think he was more bullish on the American athletic conference than is deserved. I would love to think that this is a good basketball conference. I think there are valid points to make that the bottom of the conference, the bottom three to four teams in the conference are better than they used to be. That said, the overall quality is not where it used to be. I mean, these teams there are teams like Cincinnati, Memphis, um, Wichita State that used to be an, S an SMU for that matter that have had years, obviously in Cincinnati's case, where we are top tw prolific top 25 teams. Memphis can be the same can be said. And then Wichita State back with Greg Marshall was battling for top 25 rankings year in, year out. This conference at the top has gone down significantly. And so when you're in a position like we are this year with a new team, new roster, new coach, this team starts coming together and the guys start gelling the way they seem to be over the last handful of uh, conference games. To me, there is an opportunity for us to rip off a lot of wins. And if they do that, there's going to continue to be chaos across college basketball. We are not the only team that got has an upset on our, on our record, like a home loss to Tulane or a home loss to Monmouth. We also have that Illinois win to hang our hats on. And there's a lot of things that can go in the Bearcats' favor that could see us inch our way back into that tournament conversation. So I refuse to concede that. That is an immaculate analysis of everything the American Athletic Conference has gone through, immaculate description of what the Bearcats have gone through. Do you have, a, say, word, do you have a word that you say that you yeah, that is like mine, a crutch I for think, you? I think mine is, um, uh, you have to go back to the last podcast. I said it a lot. It's something like... I, you know what? I can't think of it right now, so I'm not going to, I'm not even going to try. Cause if I say it, then, uh, you know, that, that'll be it. That it'll just keep saying it. I probably feel it worse than you do. No, though, it's it's with, um, with, with, I think I say, uh, with that being said, <laughs> lucky for you, with I, that being said, well, the Houston Cougars are number 10. Right. And I'm sitting here thinking, all right, at the beginning of the football season, we did a, we did the podcast where we're like, look, we're, we're not losing to any American athletic teams. It's not happening. Go ahead and book it. We're in, the, we're in the championship game. We're winning the conference. That is a done deal. The only thing we had to worry about was getting through Indiana and Notre Dame, right? That was it. That's all we were worried about. Correct. If, if I am Houston right now, I'm looking at this conference being like, guys, I think we're going to go undefeated in conference play. The I only thing, the only <laughs> reason Houston might lose some games in conference play is because uh, Mac and Sasser both went down with season ending injuries. That's the only thing that left them vulnerable, yeah. but even still they've started out the season undefeated in conference play. They have an absolutely fantastic coach. 
and they are going to be a tough out every single game. So yeah, I, I do think that they have established themselves as the cream of the crop in this conference. I would say that looking at what Wes Miller has done so far with kind of a last minute thrown together roster this year that lost its most talented player in Tari Eason that um, also has guys like Josh Reed, who just played up in Dayton and absolutely dominated in the flying high tournament, um, which I'm really kicking myself for not going to uh, my fault on that one. We also have Daniel Skillings dominating up in the Northeast. I would say there are signs here. We're starting to see some signs that Wes Miller is ready to reestablish the Bearcats in that, in that league with Houston, just in time for when we move to the big 12. Uh, one thing I'm not at all worried about is the future of this program in the hands of Wes Miller. I'm, I am 0% concerned about where it's going. Uh, literally he was handed the program at rock bottom per John Rothstein <laughs> and can only go up. It was at rock bottom, but it was for all the reasons that Rothstein didn't realize. Exactly. Rothstein <laughs> didn't realize like, no, 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 no. We were at rock bottom and then we fired John Brandon. The first step of getting out of rock bottom was firing John Brandon. Like that's how we got our foot out of the hole, right? Oper that we that was been dug. <laughs> Operation fail fast. Never forget. Uh, Operation fail fast. Uh, I mean, look, the conference is trash. It's okay. At the end, if anything, that that's that's more advantageous for the Bearcats that the conference is in a down year because it it means that the odds for us being able to say say we do lose a couple a game or two over this stretch against a bad team. And that, that honestly isn't the, the nail in the coffin, but it's not going to help the case for getting to the tournament. The fact that the conference is down, we can win the conference tournament at the end of the year. And it's a down year in the conference. It's it's the odds are in our favor that we are more likely to be able to do that. If that's what we need to do to get in. So I think we have more than one path to getting in the tournament. I think the easiest way to do it though, is the fact that our conference is down. We're going to be playing some bad teams and we really need to sneak out a win. And I, we, I know you said uh, we, you shouldn't be saying sneak out a win against Memphis. Uh, but I am looking at them still as they have talent. Penny Hardaway just can't, you know, get out of his own way apparently and, and, and coach these kids. But Bearcats, it's all right in front of us. We can see what needs to happen, and it's doable. I don't see anything that says that it's not – that we can't go on this stretch of games and only lose two or three more games. So I know we saw a lot of roster turnover. I know we saw – we have a new coaching staff. But there are – when you look at key minutes being played, there's still a lot of cohesiveness from who played last year. And I started getting curious – about what did Wes Miller do when he came in here? What has he changed? What has he fixed? What was the low-hanging fruit that was out there that he has found a way to quickly clean up that offered the best kind of return on investment for his time and, and efforts in this specific area? Do you have any guesses for the low-hanging fruit that Wes Miller kind of corrected course on going from the 2021 season into this 2022 season? My first guess would be the defense is actually good where in he who shall not be named constantly said, you know, defense first, defense first, defense first. Um, the defense is greatly improved. I know people were complaining about the, the rebounding against Wichita state. You're going to have, have games like that. So I, I think we, we, and I could be completely wrong because I'm not looking at the statistics, but I think we crashed the boards a little harder. I think we get, I think we rebound a little better, uh, 
And then frankly, we hit free throws. That's another low hanging fruit thing. Guys are just hitting free throws. And the other part is the offense is actually, you were right. And looking back at it, the offense is a lot better. It, we, we, we take better shots. Okay. So there's a few things you said. There's a, actually, you, you made a lot of guesses. You threw everything. You basically, you took the I hit everything. I took one thing of each area and tried to, right. You know, there's a dartboard. <laughs> there's three places that are, well, you want to score, right. You want some 19s. You want some twenties. You want a bullseye <laughs> trying to hit all over. All right. That was great. So we clearly did not rehearse this. This is not something that is a bit, um, none of what you said is what I was thinking of, or, or am I going to point to now we are Perfect. shooting, we are shooting, <laughs> we are shooting free throws better. Last season, the Bearcats were 317th in the country at 65.6% in free throws. Uh, this season, they are 306th in the country, 66.4%. So there is a very small improvement there. Has our free throw defense improved? The defense, I would say all in all, the defense has improved. The defense is holding opponents to a 42.5% effective field goal percentage. And that's that's good for, and this is all per Ken Palm, that's good for sixth in the country. That is an improvement. I don't necessarily consider that low-hanging fruit because that inquired, that required an installation of a defensive philosophy and system. Last season, the Bearcats allowed a 49.6% effective field goal percentage, which was good for 146th in the country. So clearly, defense is one of the driving reasons for why the Bearcats are better. Here is the statistic, though, Hummer, that jumps out to me. Out before, before you jump, though, because you're going to skip over the rebounding portion, we have improved in the rebounding. Elaborate, please. All right. The offensive rebounding percentage, we're 59th in the country versus 128 last year. Okay, there you go. That is good. Now, that is one. But go ahead. So, if you look at this, though, to me, the thing that was easiest to clean up and the thing that I'm most fascinated by is that last season, the Bearcats had a turnover percentage of 20.5, good for 258th in the country. We were horrible at ball possession. We were horrible at making clean passes or not stepping on the end line or not being sloppy or careless with the ball 258th in the country last season in turnover rate this season with the same backcourt mind you david DeJulius and micah adams woods that is the same starting backcourt that west miller has the bearcats are now 15th in the country with a turnover rate of 14.6 he has completely flipped the script on this team taking care of the basketball. Micah Adams-Woods, as called out by the Bearcats digital team, he has the best assist-to-turnover ratio in the entire country. David DeJulius, if you look at Ken Palm's stats, he is just outside of the top 150 in turnover rate. Our starting backcourt is incredibly efficient at taking care of the basketball. And as this team continues to get more time playing together, as Wes Miller gets more comfortable figuring out rotations, as guys like Mike Saunders Jr. and Victor Lockin get more and more proficient at, you know, Mike Saunders Jr. is expanding his, his skill set, being more creative and creating shots for others. He, he threw an incredible kickout pass to John Newman for, for a three-point shot that missed, but was an incredible look. Um, I don't think any of us doubt that Victor Lockin has talent that hasn't truly been tapped into yet. If those guys continue to, to get a little bit better, 
if Wes Miller's lineups continue to make marginal improvements, if this starting unit of DeJulius and Davenport and Adams Woods, Newman, and Adu, if they continue to make hay and you have point guards, and um, that's plural, point guards, David DeJulius and Mike Adams Woods are a starting backcourt that are both point guards. This can turn into something that would surprise people come March. Because if you defend well and you have guard to take care of the ball, in my opinion, that is a recipe for success as the season goes along. And luckily, very nice pickup there with the turnover percentage. Cause that we we've talked about that early in the season when we were looking at the, the games and we're like, Hey, if you, you know what Mick Cronin will always used to say, if you turn the ball over less than 10 times a game, you know, there's a high likelihood that your percentage that you're going to win the game. And we looked at that early in the season. So I'm glad you called that out. Cause that, that is low hanging fruit. Not only did he turn it around, like you mentioned we're one of the best in the country taking care of the ball. And to me, that utilize that to me, that signifies that Wes has found a way, not necessarily found the way, he's utilizing our team's talents in the way that they should be used, which is probably why we've seen some of these off these times where the offense goes off the charts when you don't expect them to. Memphis, East Carolina, SMU dropping 70, you know, mid 70s, 80 points a game. It's something we're not used to in the past. It's it's huge. He's completely turned things around one season after the after what we saw last year, and it's largely with the same backcourt. I mean, these are the guys who are regularly handling the ball, and the change was, hey, I'm going to make Mike Micah Adams Woods our starting point guard in air quotes. He's going to do a majority of the ball handling. I know he's a guy who's proficient with the ball. He's low risk. He's going to just make sure we get into our offense every single possession. And by shifting him over there and being a primary ball handler, that allows David DeJulius to spend more energy and more time being that primary score that the Bearcats needed. Do we need playmaker Julius? Yes. We need him to stay engaged as a playmaker for others. But to me, that encapsulates the perfect type of adjustment that Wes Miller has made since coming to Cincinnati. And it's why we should continue to be very optimistic. After Tulane, was I in a dark place? Was I worried? Was I, was I desperate to see and cling on to some sort of hope? Yes, but what have we seen in the four games after? We've seen that this team be absolutely locked in. It may not be pretty all the time, but the team is locked in, competing, and now starting to really rip off some wins here. Um, the last stat I really want to point out, because it does get a little boring to just say statistics on a podcast, but when you look at the, the season-long percentage, the team is shooting 31.7% from three, which is very bad. However, when you move that to conference only, the last five games of conference play, the Bearcats are shooting 37.9% from three. If that percentage is getting closer to the the mean for the Bearcats, if this settles in at like a 35% or so from three, to me, this becomes a very deadly team because the season-long performance by the Bearcats last year, this was a 31% shooting team from three. And if that if that kicks up to thirty five percent or so, look, man, you heard it here first, baby. We're we're competing for the tournament. Um, uh, it's funny. I, I I know we don't want to do this, but I'm gonna have to do this. Our three point percentage on defense is definitely skewed by East Carolina, forty <laughs> percent, good for eleventh in the conference. Uh, but a look at a lot of those stats on, on offense, you would actually be able to make the case that maybe we have, I know it says efficiency, it, we get the rating of five, but when I'm going down to the mis- miscellaneous components, 
I don't see a reason why you couldn't make the argument that this is one of the better offensive teams in the in the league. Well, that also might conference be only conference it, only. It might be an <laughs> it might be an indictment on the league because I don't think this is a great offense. I do think it has lots of limitations. But as long as David DeJulius continues to operate as a guy who's attacking, engaged, aggressive, if Davenport, if you're sprinkling in some Davenport who's normally going to score, you know, twelve to fifteen points. Mixed in with some Newman, Newman hitting some shots, Caval hitting some shots, Saunders getting back on the board. We have enough. There's enough offense that it, it will win games for a team that defends at an elite level and doesn't turn the ball over. Things are looking up, buddy. So what, what comes next? We get Tulsa at 9 p.m. And I know everybody's going to make ESPN or whatever hockey game. You know, next thing you know, it's going to be 930 tip off. Whatever. We got Tulsa. We're away at Temple. You're going to go down? You're going to go down to your old stomping grounds, try and make the Temple game? I will be in Nashville, Tennessee on Tuesday, January 25th, so I will not. uh, I will be forcing my teammates at work to be watching that game with me at a local bar, not listening to music in Nashville. (laughs) You you sound like a great time for those people. (laughs) Well, Hummer, let's leave it there, buddy. We do have another episode coming later this week with Joe, the Councilman Barnett. What we failed to mention is that we actually have an announcement of sorts to make about Joe Barnett and his involvement with Cincy Slang and going forward here. So uh, we'll tease that for tomorrow or for the next episode to come. Without um, any further ado, Hummer, I know Hummer is acting again like a guy who is going to lose everything. (laughs) No, 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 that's not... uh, Come on, guys. You don't you don't want to hear about we're not, this. We're but. not going to make it a recurring bit. It's just it's funny to watch you. <laughs> hey, man, let's make this a quick, tight podcast so that I can get back to watching the Rams and Cardinals game. I know you. It's not, like, it's, it's not like this is a random game. You know, it is the Monday night wild card game, and Kyler Murray, who's about to get safetyed, throws a pick six. Ooh. <laughs> so yeah, I'm losing my mind over here uh, because one, that's hysterical. And um, two, one of the bets on DraftKings for, for everybody who's sticking around long enough to hear this was Kyler Murray passing yards combined with rushing yards, 299.5 over plus a Cardinals win at plus 450. I'm pretty sure he has negative yards at this point. I don't even know if he's completed a pass this game. Hope he took the under, buddy. Go Bearcats. <laughs> Cheers. I'll talk to you later this week. Later.